Well, hey, we are in chapter two, page, I don't know, oh, 25, 25 for those of you hooked on uh, numbers or whatever. And of course, we are on the new topic of assurance. You guys sure about that? <laughs> That's your little joke for tonight. All right, assurance is what we are on. And again, this is what I saw. The last six weeks we, we saw, we've been dealing with the issue of salvation. And if you were there listening for the opening uh, prayer that I just prayed, uh, that's right. We saw that, if you will, that's the cake. And what we were going to see when it comes to the doctrine of assurance, we are dealing with what I would say icing on the cake. Because I don't know about you, but it's one thing to know that you have been completely uh, saved and forgiven by God. But isn't it great to know that you can't lose it? Isn't it great to know that when you get to heaven, you're staying in heaven? Is anybody glad that when you get to heaven, you're not there just for the weekend, God finds out after the angels inspected you, because there's a big line, and it takes a while to go through, that, oh, John, what's he doing here? And he goes back down the long chute. No, praise God. We're there forevermore. Because what we're going to see, guys, is the issue when it comes to salvation is it's his salvation, not ours. And the reason why people get mixed up, in my opinion, is because they put way too much emphasis on man. And anytime you do that, yeah, it's going to get uh, convoluted, it's going to get uh, confusing, but hello, praise God, it's God through and through, and because it's His, it's safe, it's secure, uh, it's out of your hands, and praise God it is, because if it was in our hands, none of us, myself included, are going to get there, okay? Let's take a look there at the top of page 25, if you got your notebooks there, assurance, okay? Now, before we start reading that opening passage there, that paragraph, has anybody as a born-again Christian ever, even one time... Okay, a moment of truth, that's right, Tom, here at Sunrise Baptist Church. Has anybody as a Christian ever, just for an inkling, maybe you were all alone at night, you're laying there, and maybe your behavior was kind of stinky, and this thought went through your head. I wonder, am I even saved? Anybody? Praise God. All right, the rest of your line. But anyway, that's right. Uh, praise God. That's a sin, and you need to go pray about that. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, it happens, Okay. And, uh, and, and that's natural as we're going to see, okay, if you'd base it on the wrong things, okay, your salvation. And praise God, it's not based on a feeling. You might be glad about that? Because feelings are very deceptive, okay? Could be a bad cheeseburger you had the night before, although I don't know if that's even possible. Piece of chicken, yes, poultry, that's a given. Okay, but uh, uh, based on feelings, man, uh, it, hey, they're up, they're down. So am I saying, I, feel, I don't feel, praise God. What we're going to see is it's based on fact, and it's on the fact of God's word. Okay, and so it's secure, because God's word doesn't change. Jesus Christ, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God. And so does that when it comes to his promises. But sometimes you're laying there, and I remember in seminary, Dr. Couch, who I sat under at uh, Tyndale, and he made this kind of a, a neat statement, he, and he brought that analogy. He goes, has any of you guys students, have you ever had this time when you've you know, doubted your salvation? Am I really even saved? He says, believe it or not, this can be a good thing. It's like, what? And he got my attention just like that, Ron. It was like, what? What do you mean good thing? I thought we weren't supposed to doubt. He says, of course, the doubt factor is not necessarily good, okay? He says, but when you have those times, he says, it can be a great time, if you will, a spiritual cleansing time, okay? And then he went on to explain, and I fully agree with him, okay, is this. Because what happens, okay, if over time as Christians, sometimes we, we start out with the basics, the bare bones of the gospel, that God is holy, we are not, we're in a heap of trouble, God is not just holy, he's just, so he demands punishment for my sins, okay, but there's nothing I can do to reverse that, there's nothing I can do to undo it, I can't uh, get off a death row, but praise God, he's gracious, 
Okay, and so he sent his son to die in my place for my sins. Okay, that's the bare bones of the gospel. I put my faith in that because I can't earn it, uh, 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 and I wasn't there, so it has to be by faith. Okay, that's the bare bones of the gospel. After a while, we Christians, sometimes you start relying on your own bootstraps. You know what I'm saying? Or your pedigree, or what you're doing in the church, or all this stuff like that, and all of a sudden, God has a way of humbling you. Anybody ever get humbled by God? Hey, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, be patient. It's coming. That's right, because God loves us, okay? He uh, is gracious to us, okay? And what he says, it's a cleansing time because it's those times when it, it, at the onset, what happens is you're sitting there going, Ugh, and you kind of start getting a little freaked out. They might say, well, look at me. And he says, if you do it in the right fashion, it should drive you, okay, drive you back to the word of God. Okay, because it does, because that's the only solace, right? When you're there going, man, am I even saved? Look at me. What am I doing? I can't believe this. Sometimes Christians, did you know, get ensnared in sin? Right? Like the sin of lying for those of you who still refuse to raise your hands at my questions, right? You're ensnared. Praise God, you're set free, brother, tonight. But that's right. Okay, but it forces you to go back to the Bible, to the bare bones of the gospel, what we just covered for six weeks, and go, no. Okay, it's God says so, and who cares how I feel? Frankly, here's another good reason. It's not based on your behavior, right? And praise God for that. It's based on what God says. It's based on his son's behavior that uh, we are trusting in his work, not ours. And it's a cleansing time. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves. We need to get back to basics, to the gospel. And that's why I appreciate this study. The very first thing we start off on being a disciple, mathetes in the Greek, where we get mathematics, it means a disciplined learner. How are you going to be a disciplined learner for Jesus Christ? Get back to basics. You need to, first of all, remind yourself what salvation is all about. Okay? And so sometimes when you doubt that, it's not always bad. It can be a spiritual cleansing time to get back to the basics. Don't get off the foundation. Uh, you start crumbling, stuff like that. But hey, let's continue on uh, with the top of the paragraph there. It says, I was 12 years old when I walked to the front of the church. Now, Marianne, that's not me. That's the guy who's writing this, and I want to clarify that. Okay? I'm just reading what he said. Okay? I was 12 years old when I walked to the front of the church after a stirring revival meeting service in our small country church. And the preacher said that I was a sinner. And that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for me and paid for my sins. And he said that God loved me and he wanted to give me eternal life. If only I would trust Christ as my Savior. With incredible emotion, I walked to the front of that church to receive Christ. The preacher explained the way of salvation to me one more time. And then I prayed to God, revealing my heart's desire to be saved. That night I felt, underline that there, I felt saved. But... In the following days, I would sometimes doubt the experience and wonder if I was saved at all. Since then, I have talked with many Christians who've had similar experiences. The bottom line is that it's natural to feel doubt at times about our salvation. God knew this would happen. Now, here's the point. God knew this would happen to his children, and thus he made sure, underline that, he made sure that there are ways that we can be assured that we are saved. Okay, it's a gift from him, and he wants us to enjoy the gift, okay? And let me give you an analogy. Okay, imagine that somebody gave you a gift, but you were constantly questioning whether it really was yours, right? I, I show up tomorrow, awesome, here in the, in the, over there by the driveway, and John buys me a brand new Corvette. Give it up for John, right? Buys me a brand new Corvette. Now, see, he's trying to ignore me right now, but I know that folks, what's, he's really, okay. But anyway, so he buys me this brand new Corvette, right? And I'm so excited in the beginning. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? right? And of course, I had to paint his house for the next year. But anyway, that's not really a gift, John. Thanks. But anyway, so he gives me this gift, this brand new Corvette. No strings attached, just out of the generousness of his heart, right? Okay, then the next day, I, I wake up and all of a sudden the stock goes to my brain. 
what, what if that's not really my car? What, what, do, what, if, what, if, what do we do? Oh, I better not get in the car. I can't get in the car. What if it's not my car? What if, hey, what if he's fooling me? What if I can't trust John? What if I, blah, 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 blah. And even though John gave it to me, it's a complete gift, right? If I start to doubt that, then I don't get to enjoy the gift. And that's what we're going to see. Yes, John? Uh, let, let us all define a basic uh, dictionary 101, a gift. A gift is defined as, yeah, but anyway, uh, that would not be a gift. But anyway, uh, but anyway, that would be a nightmare, you kidding? I have to keep up those payments. Thanks, pal. But anyway, that's right. We'll pray for you later. Uh, but anyway, it's a gift, okay? But anyway, so I'm not, I can't enjoy the gift. But here's the point. If, I, if John did all the paperwork, it wasn't this, it really was a gift, okay? If John did all the paperwork, all I would have to do is go into the glove compartment and take a look at the paperwork, right? Even if I didn't feel, I just go in the compartment. There's my name. Nope, this is my car. My car, no strings attached. Hop in that baby and go, let's go have some fun, right? Now, that's what Christians do. God wants us to know, guys, this great news about salvation, that it's a gift, and he wants us to know that. And what we got to do sometimes, if you doubt, you just need to get back to the glove compartment, back to the paperwork, and says, nope, it's mine. I've got eternal life in Jesus Christ, okay? And so that's kind of an analogy as to where we're going at when it comes to that we are, can be assured Okay, read the paperwork. We can be assured that we are saved. The Apostle John writes this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might continually doubt and be freaked out night in, night out and wonder and cry and beg and plead with... I'm sorry, wrong translation. Uh, in order that you may know, underline that, circle it, put asterisks by it, draw rockets on all four corners, do whatever you got to do, highlight that thing, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is important since a lack of assurance, listen, can neutralize our peace and our joy and our witness as Christians. Now, if you're not, you're walking around in life as a Christian and you're not feeling very saved, how often do you feel about witnessing and you're confident? Yes, you know, no, you want to go hide in a hole, don't you? Right? And so again, it's not just affecting, I like this point, he brings out peace and joy. Hey, it'll affect your witness. You're not out there telling others because, man, you don't have that peace and joy, okay? And it's not because you don't have the gift. You just need to open that glove compartment, take a look at the paperwork, yes, and then get back. Let other people know that John will buy him a new Corvette, too. All <laughs> right. Praise God. Let's close in prayer. Anyway, but that's right. Uh, let's continue on. Now, what I wanted to deal with before we got into this aspect here, because we're going to cover three different aspects of how we can know Okay, we're going to take a look at the paperwork of how we can know for sure that we are saved and we are born again. Before we get to that, I want to dispel kind of one area as to this issue. Even though, to me, I think it's very plain, it's very clear in the Scripture that once you're truly born again, you're born again forever. Believe it or not, there are not just people who will doubt that, and that's what we've been talking about with us as Christians, but then there are other people out there even who say that they're Christians, and maybe they are. Okay, I don't know the heart, only God does, that says that you can lose your salvation, Okay, it's not just doubting it. They say, nope, no, nope, no, nope. you can actually get it taken away from you. Now, first of all, that's an oxymoron because how can it be a gift if you could lose it, right? That wasn't a gift then, was it? Gift means no strings attached. And we'll get into all that verbiage here hopefully in a little bit. But I think over looking at years and being a Christian and a ministry, I think one of the biggest things and the biggest reasons why that people uh, even go, start to go down that route, even start to slide on this issue, even though it's very clear that God wants us to know when we're saved, praise God, we're saved forevermore because it's his salvation, is because they forget about a category of people that the Bible talks about in the scripture 
and those are simply the counterfeits, okay? The Bible is replete that there's all kinds of people, and we're going to cover four different things tonight here quickly, four different things. The Bible says this is an indicator that you may very well not be saved, not as a means to get you to doubt, because when you're truly born again, you're born again. But what we're going to see is people trust in all the wrong things to be saved, which means they're not saved. Okay, and so we're going to take a look at that. Now, first of all, you look at, well, what's the, what's the example of that? Well, I think the perfect example that's been under our nose all the time, that people can be amongst the church, people can be uh, professing to be a Christian all the time, but be lost as a goose, okay? And the perfect example of that in the scripture is who? Judas. John chapter 6, don't have time to turn there, but if you want, uh, Jesus clearly says that he knew those who belonged to him. He knew the whole time, hello, he's God. That Judas was phony baloney. Judas was in it for the money, right? The scripture says he used to help himself to the money bag and whatever. And he got mad when the, the, the lady broke the expensive perfume. I think, what was it, a year's wages? Oh, we could feed the poor. Yeah, right, pal. You wanted to put it in your own pocket. Read between the lines there with his behavior and what the scripture says. Put it all together. Okay, now do people uh, come to church services who are not born again? Right. All right, now let's all go ahead and start pointing fingers as to who those people are here tonight. No, we're not the fruit inspectors. That's the Holy Spirit, whatever. Okay, that's between them and God. And let's be honest, folks. Uh, if you want to sit there and cop on somebody else and say, look at them, they can't be saved. I saw them, blah, 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 blah. Okay, John said he was going to buy him a Corvette. No, it's not. It's just the first payment. He's locked into this for life. He's, he's ruined. He's financially ruined. He's not a Christian, right? But uh, now, John, if you want to, anyway, what? <laughs> no, okay, we don't do that. Uh, that's between them and God. But let's be honest, folks. Hey, uh, you ever thought about this? If you want to start pointing fingers at some other person saying they're not a Christian, I'm talking about, of course, not the obvious ones. They say, no, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that, uh, uh, you know, I need his saving work on the cross to save me. Nope, I can get there myself. I'm not, that's obvious. Okay, I think that we can be pretty confident about that one. But if you're just going to judge externally on somebody else's behavior, did you realize that you and I, if God were to choose to take a five-minute slice, because it wouldn't take long, a five-minute slice of just one slice of one day, at one time in our walk with Jesus over these last years, hey, we'd look like the biggest pagan on the planet, wouldn't we? So before we start pointing the old, you know, in the eye, getting, okay, is what the issue. But the Bible does deal with categories of people who are fake. They're phony, just like Judas, even though they're amongst the people. The Bible gives examples. I don't have time for this. The wheat and the tares, right? The sheep and the goats. God's going to fan them out, okay? Nobody's going to fool God. The scripture also says that God knows those who... Are he is, okay? So let's take a look at four different types of counterfeits uh, in the scripture. And the reason why I bring this up, guys, is this. Because people will say, oh yeah, you tell me you can't lose your salvation. And they'll usually give you the hypothetic scenario. Well, I know of a guy, one time, he was an on-fire Christian. And I, saw, I was there that Sunday. Kenny was there too, okay? And he walked down that aisle and he professed Jesus as his Lord and Savior and he was on fire in the church and a year later, he said, I quit, I'm a Mormon, right? They'll bring up some hypothetical scenario of somebody who was supposed to be some Christian at some, some supposed time and then they supposedly walked away and so somehow that's supposed to be proof that you, yes, can lose your salvation. No, it's called, they forget this category. Uh, might very well be a, a counterfeit. Especially when it comes to those people who walk away. We'll get to that in a second. But let's take a look at four different ways the Bible says that you might very well, a person could very well be a counterfeit, okay? Because once you're saved, you're saved forevermore, okay? But again, you don't have to fall for this hypothetical scenario that somebody at some time, one time said a prayer and they're saved and now they're walked away and they don't... 
let's take a look. Now, the first one that should be a counterfeit, according to the scripture, uh, is that uh, if you seek Christ with just your head, okay? Open your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. All righty. For those of you hooked on bad French, how would you say that? Jamais. Huh? Isn't that cool? You like that one? Jamais. James chapter 2, let's take a look. And uh, we're going to read verses 14 through 19. Here's what he says. Verse 14, James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but he's got no deeds? Now, can such faith save him? Obviously, no. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, Go, hey, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? He said, in the same way, faith by itself, okay, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. You show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith, true faith, by what I do. You believe there's one God? Okay, hey, good. <laughs> That's awesome. Guess what? You're on the same level as the demons. The demons believe in God, and they what? They shudder. Okay, and so the Bible tells us, folks, here that not all faith is saving faith. Now, that's the difference, okay? You know, some people look at this. In fact, I remember it was Martin Luther. Martin Luther, if you, if you study, he didn't like the book of James. Okay? I think he wanted to take it out, believe it or not. And the reason why is because Martin Luther, if you know the Reformation, he had this big occurrence with God. And it was, he, was, he tried the system of works with the Catholic Church. He tried going up the bloody stairs with the bloody knees and doing all the penance and all that stuff, and it wouldn't work. He couldn't get it out. And he finally came across with Romans that the just shall live by faith. It's by faith, 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 faith. And, so when he, and, and he's right. It is by faith. It's always been by faith, right? Because it's a gift. And we can't do it. We can't earn it. He's right. But then you come across James, and when James says, listen... Uh, 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 your faith has got to be linked with works. And we said, well, and he thought it was a contradiction. It's not. It's a compliment. They're saying the same thing, okay? And I like what J.B. Phillips in his uh, little uh, note there uh, on James, he says that uh, Romans and James do not contradict. They compliment. Uh, they're saying the same thing. Okay, it's just opposite sides of the coin. All that James is saying that the test of a true faith is whether or not it issues inappropriate behavior. In other words, if you're a true born-again Christian, you're going to change. Okay? I didn't say you're going to become perfect. I didn't say you're never going to sin again. But you cannot stay the same by nature of being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's not the happy spirit. He's not the giggly spirit. He's not the roll around on the floor spirit. He is the Holy Spirit, and he is there as our deposit, our guarantee, guaranteeing our salvation. It's God's engagement ring, making sure we are going to get there, but he's also inside of us producing holiness. How many guys, after you got saved, and this is one of the witnesses that we'll get into one day, okay, that were truly uh, born again, is when you got saved, all of a sudden you did sin, but what was different this time? You got convicted. Right? And before, it's like, ah, who cares? Right? But now, it's, ah. and all of a sudden, you got these promptings to not just stay away from what's wrong, but to do what's right. Okay? And that's all he's saying. He's saying there's such a thing as a dead faith, a fake faith, a phony faith. Okay? And boy, is that true today? There's a guy I used to witness to all the time when I was going to Bible college, the place where I worked at, and he'd always use the buzz phrase. The words today, guys, you need to understand when you're trying to share uh, salvation, the gift of Jesus Christ with the lost, okay, the words God and the words faith are absolutely, totally generic nowadays, okay? Because people say, well, yeah, I, I believe in God. I believe in the Ten Commandments. Okay, well, the Bible says if you just believe in that, does that make you saved? No, the demons do. They're not saved. So if that's your so-called faith, that ain't saving faith, all right? 
uh, and the thing, the faith itself, because this is what the guy would always say. I said, man, I said, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you got, you got to trust in Jesus Christ. It's his work on the cross. He says, hey, listen, I, I have faith. It's, okay, faith in what? Faith in the chair, faith in the pew, faith in that unfortunate chicken salad sandwich you're eating, faith in, well, what, faith in what? Faith is a generic term, right? And you, you hear the, 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 the politically correct terms nowadays, the people of faith, it's faith, it's faith, you faith, faith in what? People have faith all the time. People have, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't have faith. Do you realize that? Because you can't get on the plane without having faith, right? You get on the plane. I've never met that pilot. Did you? Okay. Wait till you see Byron in a plane here in a couple weeks. <laughs> I can't wait for that one. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I've never met the pilot. I didn't go in there and interview him. I didn't get into the thing. He says, can you show me credentials? Can I see your track record? Can I see your resume? I want to uh, be able to adequate. No, you go on there in complete faith that there's even somebody in the front. Right? Let alone that he's going to take off correctly and even land. We walk by faith all the time. Faith is a generic, generic term. And that's what he's saying. You can sit there and say, faith, I got faith, I got faith. I'm a Christian, I have faith. I believe in God, really? Well, the demons do. And they shudder. So if that's your so-called faith, just like Judas, you're not real. Okay? That's what the Bible says. The second way that you could possibly be, a person can be a counterfeit is if they seek Jesus Christ with just lips. Not just your head. I believe in God, I have faith, you know, is now with your lip service. You give God lip service. Uh, open your Bible, it says Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Oh, yeah. Here and there and everywhere. Titus chapter 1. -da. Titus chapter 1, we're going to read uh, two verses, verse 15 through 16. Here's what uh, Titus says uh, to you and I. Here's what he says, to the pure all things are what? Pure. Okay, verse 15, chapter 1. Uh, but to those who are corrupted and who do not believe, hey, nothing is pure. Okay, in fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Now, here's the problem. They claim with their mouth, their lips, oh, I what? I know God. Do people do that today? Oh, you don't need to witness to me, Tom. I know God. I know God, Right? But their actions, what? Deny him. In fact, listen to this. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Oops. And so not just in your head, people, it kind of, kind of combines with it. It's not just a belief system. Now it's just a professing system. And of course, that's the system. And that's the, the, the Christianese axiom, right? Well, they could be a professor, but not a possessor. Apparently, I'm the only one that ever heard that one. But anyway, that's right. And so it's not a classic phrase. But uh, it's new to somebody. And so that's what he said. And not everybody who claims to know God really belongs to God. Because if over time, you just give God lip service instead of life service, okay? Before, it was like, you're, you're, there's no change. There's no nothing. But here's the issue. You claim to know God, but you deny him by the way you live. I didn't say perfection. I'm just talking as a pattern of life. That after you got saved, if you are truly born again, which means you're dwelt with the Holy Spirit, you have to change. It's good. I'm not saying perfection, but something's got to change. But if you have no desire to read the Word of God, if you have no desire to spend time with Him, if you have no desire to witness, and you have no desire to help, red flag, this is bare minimum. Red flag, red flag, big red flag. Because you can claim to know God all you want, but if you have zilcho desire to follow Him, something's wrong. I didn't say that. God did. Okay, the third way you could possibly be a counterfeit, just like Judas, 
is this one. Here's the big one. This is that scenario I'm trying to bring out. Oh, I know of a guy one time, and then he became blah, blah, blah. Bible gives a very explicit response to that. It has nothing to do with you losing your salvation you never had in the first place. I didn't say that. God did. And that's when people worship God with their thoughts. In other words, it's not the God of the Bible. It's what they want the God of the Bible to be like. It's almost akin to what we dealt with in the salvation section of the people who bring up this scenario. Well, my God is a God of love, and he would never have a hell. Right? That's a, that's, that's a, did you know that's idolatry? Because, because that's not God. And if you're worshiping something that's not God, that's an idol. Okay, you've made up your own version of God, not the biblical God. Because we saw you can't have true love without true justice. And, and if you just said that my God is a God of love, he never sent anybody to hell, then what kind of a God is that? Who just lets sin go? Right? He never lets sin go, as we saw with our last study. Somebody always has to pay the price. Praise God, he's gracious. And he's willing that his son could pay the price for us. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, but they're worshiping God with their thoughts, okay, how they think it should be, okay? And here's what he says. Oh, open your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 2. If somebody ever comes up to you, Christian, and says, well, I know of a guy one time, he didn't, he walked away and he became this or became that or just became an atheist or whatever, you need to go to 1 John chapter 2. This is so clear. This isn't like some uh, southern Hebrew, Greek, you know, from the northwest, okay? Uh, this is plain and clear, okay, is what he says. 1 John 1 John, 1 John, 1 John. First John chapter 2. And verse 18. Dear children, he says, this is the last hour. As you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, in place of or opposer of, meaning of, of Christ, have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Now here's the problem. They went out from... Now remember the guy, the hypothetical scenario. I know of a guy one time, he came down the aisle, he professed Jesus, and he became something other than a Christian. Or just walked away. Here's what the Bible says. They went out from us, but they what? Did not really belong to us. Now what does that imply? It was a fake profession, a phony profession. It didn't stick because it wasn't real. Something didn't register. Maybe it was just their head. Maybe it was just their lips. Maybe it was a, a, an idol, a false god. They were, they were bowing a knee to what we saw the false gospel the last six weeks. Hey, come to Jesus. He's a great life enhancement. No talk of sin. No talk of punishment. No talk of need to be uh, get off a death row. None of that talk. It's just, hey, he loves you and everything's great and don't you want to improve your life? All right? Maybe it was something like that. Okay? And so because it didn't stick, because when you're born again, as we're going to see, folks, the Holy Spirit makes sure you get there. You cannot walk away. Okay, yeah, praise God. And that's why this whole thing's called assurance. Okay, but if you walked away, hey, something didn't work. And it wasn't God's fault. You responded to something wrong or you didn't respond to anything that was right. They went out from us because they didn't really belong to us. For if they have belonged to us, they were true Christians. It was a true profession. It was a true conversion. What would happen? They would have uh, remained with us, but their going showed that how many of them? None of them. Zilcho, zero. None of them belong to us. So that, in a nutshell, right there, blows away the hypothetical scenario. I know of a guy one time, and see, that's proof that he was saved at one time, and then he chose to not be saved. No. Bible has an answer for that. Okay? Uh, he didn't lose his salvation. He didn't have it in the first place. And plus, that's a straw man argument. You mean to tell me that if somebody uh, wanted to give up their salvation, that God would be so mean as to force them to stay a Christian? <laughs> you ever, no, uh, that's logic, man. You ask the question, right? It's like, okay, and I like to do that when people pose that. All right, let's put that to the test. That ex exciting brainiac question there. 
How many guys right now, born again Christians, okay, how many guys right now want to come up here and give it all up and go straight to hell? Raise your hand, please, please, please. It's a straw man argument. No true born again Christian even has that desire. Okay? It's impossible. It's a straw man argument. Rather, a true born-again Christian is very thankful for what God's done, and he's looking forward to his reward, and the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing it. Okay, it's impossible. Let's go to the fourth and final one. How do you know that somebody could uh, very well be a counterfeit is when they seek God with their, I call it their religion, okay? And religion or self-works, if you want to put it there. Now, the reason why I say religion is because did you realize that people treat Christianity like a religion, okay? Did you know that people could sit here in the pews all their life and they can hear about the gospel, but they still are not trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ to save them. All they've done is taking, uh, whether they're next door trying to do good deeds and Baha'i faith, they can just come to the Christian church and try to do Christian good deeds and think that's how they get in. Whether it's becoming a member, whether it's getting baptized, whether it's helping around the church. I kid you not, one of the most profound examples of this was a lady that I had pastored in Northern California. And she came up to me and she said, Pastor, with tears in her eyes as she shared her testimony. She said, Pastor Billy, she said, I went to this church for, listen to this, guys, nine years. Nine years. And I wasn't born again. She said, but listen to this. I was helping around the church. She says, everybody in the church looked at me as the absolute model of a Christian. I was here when the doors were open. I was here teaching Sunday school class. I was at all the meetings. I was helping out. I was giving Modell a run for her money, right? <laughs> I kid you not, but with tears in her eyes, she would sit there and just cry. She says, but Pastor Billy, it didn't dawn on me until one day that I had never really surrendered to Jesus Christ. I was still trusting in my own works. And she says, so one day, she said, I got down on my knees and I surrendered to Jesus. She says, but Pastor Billy, do you realize that if I were to die within those nine years, I would have went to hell, even though everybody in the church probably would have given me a Christian funeral. Now that sounds intense, but that's exactly what Jesus says. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. People will treat Christianity. It's just a, it's a do-gooders club. It's just a different version. You could be a do-gooder in the Mormon uh, so-called church. You could be a do-gooder with Jehovah's Witnesses. You can go right next over to the uh, store over here with the Baha'i faith and be a do-gooder. People do that with Christianity. And Jesus said, if that's what you're trusting in, many of you are going to say something to me on day, and I'm going to have some choice words for you. Matthew chapter 7 and uh, verse 21 we're going to start with. This is an, when you put this together with Revelation 20, we'll go there, Lord willing. It is intense. Okay, what is this scene? Oh, wow. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Here's what Jesus says. Okay, uh, he says this. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The will of the Father is to believe in the Son. It's not your own works, but that's what they were trusting in because he said this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, come on. Did we not trust in the cross of Jesus Christ? Did we not profess that you are holy and that we are not? The only way we're going to get to heaven is through him and him alone. What were they trusting in? Did we not, what? Christian stuff, man, look at this. Did we not prophesy in your name? Hey, is it possible for somebody to prophesy but not be born again? Yeah, there's all kinds of false prophets out there. Doesn't mean you got the spirit of God. It could be a different spirit. So just because you prophesy doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Okay, he says, uh, in your name, and in your name, uh, did we not drive out demons? Can people drive out demons and not be Christians? 
Yeah, demons are very deceptive. Anything to get you to uh, go down the wrong path, even if it sinks by doing all these hoops and rolls and saying these methods and formulas, as long as you don't become a Christian and have real authority in Jesus Christ's name, we'll dupe you. Happens all the time. Seven sons of Sceva, remember that? They were trying to cast out the demons. Remember that passage in Acts? They came up there, and remember the response they said there? The demons spoke back to these people, trying to cast out the demons? Listen, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? Right? One guy, true uh, testimony, I don't know if I ever shared this. Uh, he said, he got, he, true story, he just got born again in a revival meeting, okay? And it was towards the end of the meeting, they needed to wrap it up, and they were going to come back later, I think, that night. And the guy just got born again. Uh, the guy gave him a Bible uh, that led him to Christ and says, okay, go home and read this, uh, and, and then come back ready for tonight, and we're going to continue on with prayer service, okay? True story, I kid you not. So the guy comes back, and uh, the guy, uh, he comes back, and he, it was his turn to prayer, and he, he, he gets up, brand spanking new Christian, right? And the other guy that led him, he's right there. And he says, hey, he says, uh, real loud, he said, with sincerity too, he has brand new baby Christian. He goes, God, he says, I want, really loud, I want the demons to know my name. <laughs> the guy says, what are you doing, man? Hush up, shut up. What are you talking about? Demons know your name, right? And the guy says, well, I went home. I opened up to the book of Acts and he read this passage. Now that's a prayer request. Jesus I know, Paul I know, God I want to live a Christian life so that the demons know my name, just like Jesus and just like Paul. Now that I preach, okay, and that's what he says, so, so that's what he says, so, but you can cast out demons and not be a Christian, and, and, and perform many miracles? Can you do miracles and not be a Christian? Yeah, just ask the false prophet, uh, Revelation chapter 13, he's going to perform all kinds of false lying signs, wonders, and miracles, okay, but it's not from God. Okay, so that's what they're doing uh, with that. Now, flip it around because you need to understand the emphasis of what's going on here with the double usage of the word Lord. Lord, Lord. Okay, because there's a basic rule that's going on there in Scripture. When anything's repeated, it's for emphasis. Okay, Revelation 20, flip over there. Keep your uh, uh, thumb, finger, uh, whatever you got handy uh, right there. Revelation chapter 20. Because many people that uh, believe that the day he's speaking about is the day of the Lord or, or the great white throne judgment. Okay, that these people are going to be brought before him and judged. Okay, and uh, Matthew 20, okay, or excuse me, uh, Revelation 20, and uh, verse 11 says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Okay, notice plural. Another book, singular, was open. That's the book of life. That's the one you want to be in. But you notice there's only one of those, and there's a whole slug of others. Kind of gives you a reference that, you know, as Jesus said, hey, the many and the few, right? So anyway, so, uh, the, and the other books are the ones that people's names that are not recorded in the book of life, they're trusting their own works. Here's what it says. He said, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up uh, the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he had done. Okay, now these are all the people who have, throughout human history, who have ended up in hell. Hell is not the end finale, folks. Okay, there's what's called the second death, and that's the lake of fire. Okay, and so that's what's going on here. So now they've been in hell all this time, okay, and uh, now all of a sudden they're going to be raised up one more time, okay, at the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, okay? And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, put the timing of what's going on here. These are people, all the dead, the seed, the great, doesn't matter, of all human history who did not go to heaven, who went into hell. Okay, I wish I had time to get into Hades. Hades is uh, the New Testament term for uh, Sheol, uh, uh, is, is what it is. The Old Testament Sheol, okay, is what it is. Hey, if you can read that, praise God for you. Okay, and Hades is the same New Testament word. Hades is not synonymous with hell. Okay, if you don't get that, sometimes people pervert the scripture. Uh, they both mean grave. One is Hebrew, one is uh, New Testament Greek. Okay, is what's going on. Now, before Jesus rose from the, the grave, people went down, if to, to make it easy to do a circle uh, chart, uh, and, and Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 16, that there's a great chasm fixed between the two, and you can't go from one place to the other. And so what happened before Jesus rose from the, uh, the dead is uh, prior to the cross, uh, the people went to uh, Sheol, the place of the departed dead. That's what this, that's what this whole thing is. Okay, those who ended up uh, with, uh, as a thief, Jesus said today, you will be with me in where? Paradise, okay, or another Old Testament term is Abraham's bosom. Okay, that's the good side. That's the righteous side. Now, here's hell. Okay, that's what it's talking about. So when you see Hades, it's not always necessarily hell. Okay, it's the place of the departed dead. One half of that, if you will, is hell. Okay, and that's where you have the rich man over here. And this is why he could see Father Abraham. Because he's over here, there's a great chasm. That's what's going on in Luke 16. Now, when Jesus rose from the grave, the scripture says, he led captivity captive, I believe that's in Ephesians. And so this compartment, if you will, went to heaven. So all that's left is the half of the circle, hell. It's been there the whole time, okay? Because these guys went to heaven. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.8 now kicks in as a New Testament post-cross uh, believer because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord who's in heaven okay another little side note that's very important understanding this makeup of sheol okay is because people would say that when jesus died he went down to hell now that's a false teaching okay uh he went to paradise abraham's bosom if jesus ended up in hell that's for the place for the unrighteous that means he would have sinned and he'd still be there Okay, praise God he didn't. He was over here. Okay, that's just a little synonym because people want to take that and say Jesus went to hell. He was down there three days suffering. The demons are laughing at him. Are you kidding me? Kerarusso, uh, what it means there in the Greek, he was proclaiming victory. And he was fulfilling prophecy for three days and three nights. He was in the, the, as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, three nights. So the Son of Man is going to be down here. And boom, he comes up, praise God. And he was proclaiming victory. Okay, but you, once you're there, you're down. Now, here's my whole point. Uh, throughout all this, this half, if you will, is what's left. If you die today, praise God, we go straight to be with the Lord in heaven. That's where Jesus is at. Okay, at the right hand of the Father. Okay, hell all of a sudden gets raised up at this great white throne judgment. This is why many people believe that they're saying not just once but twice, Lord. You know, I like McCarthy. You put a lot of emphasis on it. He goes, Lord? Lord? I mean, can you imagine the relief? Here you are. People could be there 100 years. Uh, by that time, 3,000 years. We don't know. Okay? But they're there the whole time in unending torment and, and agony and flames and fire and the worm dieth not. It's horrible. Ah, the smoke, the sulfur, the ah, the ah, and all of a sudden... <laughs> You're at the great right throne judgment. And it's peaceful. None of that's there. Next thing you know, you see this throne scene going on. You see a whole big old pile of books over here. You see one book over here. That's what he's describing. And it gets to your turn. And maybe this is these people, these counterfeits, these Judas people, if you will. And they go, oh, finally, I can explain what's going on. 
And it's almost like the emphasis on these words are like, Lord, 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 what have I been doing in hell? I mean, come on, man. I cast out demons. I was doing miracles. I was prophesying. And what does Jesus say? If you're back there at Matthew 7, he says this. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You thought hell was bad? That's the frying pan. You go into the fire now called the lake of fire. Wow, what a seriously horrible scene that is, right? Okay, that's the danger of what's going on there. Now, the whole reason why I brought that up wasn't get to get you to doubt because there's no re- a reason to doubt. But I wanted to dispel this, what I would say over just years of experience being a Christian and in ministry, the number one way that they start to snooker born-again Christians, people who would say that you can lose your salvation, is that hypothetical scenario. Oh, yeah? Well, what about the guy? What about the guy? First John chapter 2, right? He was never saved in the first place. Next question, right? Yeah, but he, got, he, he said he believed in Jesus. He said he believed in God. Well, really, the demons said they believe in God. Yeah, but he claimed to know Jesus. Yeah, but his life showed a different story. There was no change. If you're indwelled the Holy Spirit, you will change. Not saying perfection, but you have to change by nature of being indwelled with him. That's what he's there for. Not there just sit there, okay, how much more time till this one goes up? He's working on you, okay? And so I, I want to dispel that because, listen, guys, there's, if you're not in those categories, then guess what? Here's the good news. You can know <laughs> that you're not going to the lake of fire. You're not going to be there at the great white throne judgment. Praise God. Absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, you are going to make it to heaven. You can be assured. And that's what he says. As a child of God, we can know. That's your first blank there for those of you hooked on blanks. We can know that we have eternal life. Now, we're going to see this in three different ways. And remember the analogy. Uh, God wants us to know this, guys. He wants us to enjoy the gift. He wants us to enjoy what would be nice if John really did give me a Corvette. And uh, he wants us to drive it around. He wants us to test it out. He wants us to enjoy it, put down the sun tops, and just have a great time. I've given you this wonderful gift. Enjoy it now, not just when you get into heaven. And I'm telling you, folks, some of the saddest things that break my heart is when Christians doubt their salvation. Now, I don't know. Maybe there's, again, I'm not here to get you to doubt. You need to understand if you got the right Jesus and you're trusting the right things, his work, there's peace. There's joy. But have you ever run across somebody who's waffling? There is not peace. It's almost a tormenting time. Okay, and it breaks my heart. But the Bible wants us to know that. We can know that we have eternal life in three ways. The first one is the witness of the Bible. Open up the paperwork, right? That's the car analogy. Read the paperwork, okay? And if you don't read the paperwork, I'll, I'll do this one too. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. R.C. Sproul did this one time. A guy came into his office. He was a Christian. And he said, uh, he said Dr. Sproul, he says, I just, uh, I just uh, you know what, I've just been involved in, in some serious sin. And I, I just, I, I, just I, I know I lost my salvation. I don't know what to do. And Sproul, if you know anything about his teaching, I don't agree with everything that he teaches, especially when it comes to eschatology, but whatever, that's a secondary issue. Okay, but uh, when it comes to theology, real good. But uh, he, he looks over his desk, and he just basically looks at the young man, and he goes, young man, he was really stern. He said, let me ask you some questions. Number one, are you trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your salvation? Yes, I am. Are you trusting that is in him and him alone is the reason... Uh, why God is going to accept you. 
that it is his righteousness that is covering you to get you in heaven. Yes, I am. And he asked him a couple more questions akin to that true salvation. And then he turned even more stern to the young man. He says, young man, would you please stop calling God a liar? Because that's really what's going on, folks. When God says he saves us, and Jesus saves us completely, and he's very adamant about it, how dare that any man would sit there and say that God can't keep his promise? You're calling God a liar. And if you read your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, that's the very same unfortunate tactic the devil used to cause sin to come in the first place. Did God really say, what's that? That's doubt. And I'll guarantee he doesn't stop there just with mankind. He can't take away our salvation, but he moves to plan B. And plan B is to get you to mess you up so you will do anything and everything but serve Jesus Christ. And if you don't think that your salvation is secure, you're not going to serve Jesus Christ. And he'll use the same tactic of a doubt. And he'll come to you, Christian, after you've been saved at some point and say, did God really save you? Yeah, you can know this. Number one, by the Bible. Number two, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Got a little bit into that tonight. Okay, Holy Spirit is your next blank there. And number three, the witness of a transformed life. I don't know about you, but uh, if you look at the apostles, okay, before Pentecost, you know what I'm saying? Probably guys that you wouldn't want to have around in an alley and uh, here somewhere in Las Vegas and uh, some thugs were coming after you because them guys were chicken livers, <laughs> right? I tailed it out of there, right? But after Pentecost, when they truly became born again, did every single one of them, save John, was the only one who died a natural death, even though he went through a lot, died a horrible, egregious death. All of a sudden, they became the most courageous men on the planet. The witness of a transformed life. We'll get into that, Lord willing, uh, next time. We'll get into the three witnesses, the witness of the Bible, the witness of a Holy Spirit, and the witness of a transformed life. We can know for sure that we truly are born again as long as we're not trusting in the wrong stuff. But if you are, praise God, uh, it's complete. And if you don't remember anything, remember this. It's not our salvation, guys. It's his. Praise God, it's his. That means it's out of our hands. It's in his control. And praise God, he's not like us. He doesn't lie. And he keeps his promises. Right, John? Praise God. Thank you. Let's pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments 
uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? 
The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.